Coming to you from the ReachMD studios, this is COVID-19 on the front lines. I'm Dr. John Russell. Welcome to Social Distancing, 1918 Influenza, A Tale of Two Cities. So today we're going to talk about social distancing, the 1918 influenza epidemic, A Tale of Two Cities. So certainly the concept of social distancing wasn't something people two months ago even had any sense about. Flatten the curve is a term that's been all over the media during the COVID-19 epidemic. And more and more Americans are being asked to shelter in place as city and states start closing schools and non-essential businesses. But what's the history behind this? Well, let's look back at influenza. So the term influenza comes from an influence of the stars. Uh, medieval Latin, influentia, the, the ancient Romans would look into the skies and they would see certain stars and they felt that that is what caused influenza. First described by Hippocrates, we've had epidemics with flu every one to three years for the last 400 years. Pandemics are worldwide epidemics occur less often. First documented one was in 1580. The last was 2009 when we had the H1N1 pandemic. But I want to talk about the 1918-1919 pandemic, where we saw 20 to 50 million deaths worldwide and over 500,000 deaths in the United States over a six-week period of time. Well, through this epidemic, there's been a lot of discussions of where this all started, you know, calling this the Chinese coronavirus. Well, in essence, the 1918-1919 flu epidemic began in Fort Riley, Kansas, in March of 1918. There were about 1,100 hospitalized, few died. April through June, we started sending troops over to World War I. They started living in trenches and the flu mutated and changed. Certainly there was a huge concentration of cases in Spain. That's why it became known as the Spanish lady. In mid-July, the flu that was seen in 1918 was killing more soldiers than the war was. And it turned fatal. It led to the cytokine storm where people had cyanosis, headache, blood so thick it clogged needles. Nothing that we would think about when we think about flu right now. So in late August of 1918, two sailors in Boston uh, became ill. The Boston Globe actually talked about it being germ warfare. We were fighting the Germans and the only pharmaceutical company at the time was Bayer, which was a German company. And someone postulated that the Huns were putting something in the aspirin. On September 8th, 1918, a ship from Boston docked in Philadelphia. There also were sailors who docked at the same time in New York City. And the two cities had different approaches to these six sailors. Three days later, the first sailor in Philadelphia took ill. And by September 18th, there were 600 sailors ill in the city of Philadelphia. But the story that really happened in Philadelphia happened about 10 days later. So the city of Philadelphia was challenged to raise $259 million for World War I to support Philadelphians who were fighting in World War I. So the city decided to host, amongst other things, a Liberty Loan Parade. At that point, there were 525 cases and 75 deaths in the city of Philadelphia. Physicians throughout the city called for canceling the parade, but really the city felt that it had to raise money for World War I. And the parade went on, and it was, uh, for people who attended, it was a great success. The Philadelphia paper, the Evening Bulletin, described it as a great day in Philadelphia. But if you look in that edition of the Bulletin, and you look further back in the paper, 
I'd also describe the death of a 30-year-old Philadelphia policeman and 118 new cases that day before the parade was held. Two days after the parade, 160,000 Philadelphians were ill. By October 1st, every hospital bed in the city was filled. By the third week of October, the grip had killed 4,500 Philadelphians. Doctors and nurses began working around the clock. Multiple healthcare workers died. There were even cases of nurses being kidnapped on their way home so they could go and take care of sick people who were home. So local Philadelphians called for quarantine, but the health com commissioner, Dr. Cruzen, declined. So we look at that flu epidemic. Two-thirds of the deaths were folks under 39 years of age. At the time, the Philadelphia morgue had room for 36 bodies. It had 500 bodies in it. Bodies were stacked three and four deep. Soon, schools, theaters, and saloon were closed five days after the parade, but probably it was a little late. Funerals could only be attended by family members, and over a six-week period of time, 12,687 Philadelphians had died, with a height of 759 people dying in a day, and the flu was gone by November, and it had a death rate of 407 per 100,000 persons. Now, if you look what happened in St. Louis, a much different story, and this is the graph you often see in the flatten the curve. So in late September 1918, Health Commissioner Dr. Max Starkloff began preparing for influenza that he thought would find its way west from Boston. So he began by asking the St. Louis Medical Society to report all cases of influenza to him. He wrote an article for the St. Louis Post-Gazette on how to avoid influenza, avoid alcohol, fatigue, and crowds, get fresh air, and avoid those who are ill. Maybe one of our first discussions in a pandemic of social isolation. There was a Jefferson Army barracks 10 miles from St. Louis that had a few cases by October 1st. The commandant of the base, who also was a little bit of a hero, banned public gatherings, revoked all leave, and seized all visitors from coming to visit the barracks where the soldiers were staying. Within a few days, those 40 cases had ballooned to 500 sick soldiers. Uh, the hold on visitors did not include uh, everyone, a local congressman, from Missouri, Jacob Meeker visited October 9th and died of influenza seven days later. On October 5th, the city of St. Louis saw its first case in a family with seven ill patients. There were 50 cases by the next day. Starkloff requested the upcoming Liberty Loan Drive be canceled. So two cities approached raising money for World War I very differently. He also threw the aldermans got the mayor powers to declare influenza contagious disease, and the mayor got authority to declare a public emergency. That led to doctors having to report all cases and patients needing to self-isolate. By October 7th, as cases increased, Starkloff asked the mayor, the public health service, public school system, St. Louis Medical Society, city hospitals, and representatives from the business community all to come together. They discussed mass closures. At the time, there were only 100 cases in the city and 900 at the hospital barracks that was 10 miles away. This group eventually agreed on mass closures that began October 8th. The school closed one day later on October 9th. By October 11th, the city hospital was full. Uh, this was the city hospital. The private hospitals were not filled because they would not take flu patients. And the city rallied around the healthcare community through volunteerism, through visiting nurses. There were 40 nurses who cared for over 3,000 St. Louis St. Louis residents in their home. 
October 15th, the cases went over 3,000. Another hospital began accepting patients. On October 20th, Starkloff put restriction on business. The business community complained. The mayor wanted to overturn it, but the city physicians refused. And they said until there were less than 150 cases a day, they wanted the ban to stay in place. So on November 9th, all non-essential businesses were closed. Schools reopened on December 9th after the cases decreased. And all restrictions were lifted by December 28th. So what happened? So we saw a very steep rise to the curve in Philadelphia. Lots of deaths that happened over six weeks. St. Louis still had flu, but it happened over a longer period of time, from the beginning of October almost to January 1st. But thanks to a quick-thinking health commissioner, St. Louis only had 358 cases per 100,000 people. So about 50, 60 less cases per 100,000 people, just in how they did that. But the curve is longer. So the, the health system was not so overwhelmed. Only seven American cities had lower rates. Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Toledo, Grand Rapids, and Columbus. So as you see this curve about flattening the curve and social distancing, it does not mean we're not going to have COVID-19 patients. We're just hopefully not going to have COVID-19 cases at a point when we don't have enough ventilators, when we don't have enough PPE, when we don't have enough healthy healthcare workers, that this is something that we're going to be hopefully battling for months and not overwhelmed by in weeks. For ReachMD, this is COVID-19 on the front lines. For continuing access to this and other episodes, and to add your perspectives towards the fight against this global pandemic, visit us at ReachMD.com and become part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.